If you could describe eater in one or two words, what would it be? Intercultural. Ambitious. Complex. Energy. Diversity and innovation. Sun and electricity. Giant international collaboration. Uh, it's more like dream comes true, you know. Eater has been my dream project. So when I am on site, you know, when we am on the construction site, you know, you see things on computer and then you see them in real. So it does feel like, wow, that's amazing. And it feels like dreams do come to reality. A project of significance, ITER is a mammoth of our generation that is pulling us into the future. A future where we can dream of clean energy and climate success. But as a project with complex layers of science, engineering, technology and politics, it has somehow managed to be hidden in its own shadow, away from the eye of the mass public. However, like any giant, it cannot be left unseen. The director of communications, Laban Koblenz, sheds light on how he has had to manage such a giant and help it slowly step into the limelight. You're listening to The Eater World, Season 2 on The Eater Podcast. I'm your host, Crudy, and this season I peek into the world of Eater, discovering the personal stories, motivations, and challenges faced by the scientists, engineers, managers, and more from over 35 nations who together are building one of the most ambitious scientific projects ever attempted right here in the south of France. This international collaboration is a unique force to reckon with for our present and future generations to come. So come and join me in this audio journey. Coming in as the communications director in 2015 under the leadership of the late Mr. Bernard Bigo, Laban Koblenz has supervised multiple changes at ITER since then. He has worn different hats prior, from being an international civil servant at the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, where he honed his international relations and communication skills as the speechwriter and advisor to the then director, General Mohamed El Baradei, having also collaborated with him on the Nobel Peace Prize. He has also worked for the U.S. Navy, the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, as well as started his own organization in New York back in 2012. I speak to him about his role in ITER now and what challenges he has faced in bringing this giant out of the shadows. Compared to your other roles, what do you find to be the most challenging aspects at ITER from the perspective of a manager and the communications director? I think that um, the ITER organization is unique for a couple of reasons. One is because fusion is just so challenging. And um, as a communications director, you think in terms of narrative. How do you capture the imagination? So think about a Netflix series that goes on for four decades. It, it, it doesn't happen. 
the ability to, to, to sustain interest, the ability to, uh, the, the need to explain the complexity of the technology of ITER. I think always when you communicate complex science to a lay audience, your task is to put things in simple terms. And that I think we do. I think when you compare uh, people who get confused about nuclear fission versus uh, nuclear fusion, um, I think it's, it's quite easy to, to put that in perspective. But to sustain the interest, um, particularly I would say in countries with uh, relatively fast election cycles where politics changes um, luckily, I would say fusion is not a conservative versus liberal issue. To say it in another way, it has support from, from sort of all parts of the political spectrum. But sustaining um, interest, sustaining budgets, explaining why um, when you end up with a setback, explaining that setback both for the lessons, that, the positive lessons it can provide, but also explaining, you know, a couple of setbacks in the context of a dozen achievements. So really, really keeping the conversation positive. And I would say that it really is that. It really is positive. But, but those, those are the communication challenges. And then what about from the perspective of management of such a complex and international organization? Because ITER, for the first time, has all these nations and all these nationalities coming together to work on something so complex. And you, as the communications director, are looking at both internal and external kind of communications for this organization. So what is the difficult challenge for you that you have noticed here compared to other international organizations? Say there, Kruti, that it's about um, building something. You know, if you look at the flags on our work site, you have China flying next to the European Union flag and you have, you have the US flying next to Russia. Um, in reality, for the seven members, that's just the alphabetical order. But, but it often produces this visual contrast because you don't see those flags flying together unless it's at the Olympics or FIFA World Cup or maybe at the United Nations. So here, it represents not just ideological differences coming together, but it also represents um, building, as you said, probably the most complex science experiment in history and manufacturing literally millions of components on three continents in, in thousands of factories and having them all arrive here at the right time in the schedule, having them all fit together like some giant Lego and with the incredible precision and sometimes contrasted with the immense size and dimensions and weight of, of these components, getting that to all work together to build a machine nobody's ever built before is um, is a challenge that that only the the mildly crazy want to take on. But when you look at what it means for the future of our planet and our kids and so forth, I, I would say it definitely is worth it. What would be the specific challenges that you face to actually communicate, not on just construction side, but also for them to work cohesively together with all these languages, with all these nationalities? Yes, they're building one machine, the Tokamak, of course, with all the other surrounding buildings that you have that go inside the assembly hall, for example. But for you as a communications director, what are the main challenges that you see concretely? You'll hear one of the teams you know, communicating in Mandarin and another team communicating in Italian. 
And so you, you do have language barriers. Um, you know, you have a central language of mathematics or, or CAD design or, or, or computing. But I don't think, I think that literally you, you sort of drop your passport at the door. We like to talk about our role here as being international um, to sort of, you know, make a pun on words that the imagined rivalries that you might see really don't show up. Now, that said, there are certainly all the countries involved are adept, amazingly adept at high tech, but they all do it differently. So there are contrasts in terms of do you do more of a consensus decision making, more of a uh, uh, centralized, um, not authoritarian, but a, but a more centralized authority making the decisions. I think from a communication perspective, we work on intercultural uh, differences. We do really take time. Uh, to look at differences in maybe management style in terms of um, what the expectations are for how you manage a project, how you manage people. Certainly, as a communications director, um, a, a press office approach in Japan might be different than that in Korea, might be different than that in India, and, and different than Europe or the U.S. So, yes, you do have you do have differences in terms of how you work with external media. I think that how you how you keep the the um, morale of the staff up, the things that people value will be different. So there's a lot of listening. There's a lot of, of trying to understand um, what motivates people. But I don't think of that as a challenge. I, I think of that literally as, as diversity at its best when it is a richly cultural, um, a, a rich cultural fabric. The cultures that divide us are actually not national. They are, because we have three, we have the public sector culture, publicly funded project. You have an academic sector, the research sector, which is where most of the previous fusion, uh, plasma physics and fusion expertise resides. And you have the industrial construction culture. Those three cultures um, work to entirely different schedules and deadlines and so forth. And so there is a lot of work on harmonizing how they work together for effective international project management. So for this international project management, what management achievements are you most proud of in your tenure here? You know, I would say that when I arrived here in in 2015-16, we were challenged on all fronts. Uh, Literally, you know, the most complex project in the world and nobody had ever heard heard of us. So the external communication felt like a huge challenge. I think we've made huge strides there. We are still not as well known as I'd like, but we're in the news a lot. We've got constant presence of, of media coming here, and we don't have to fight to get them here. They, they A lot of them are really contacting us on their, on their own. Um, I think the second challenge was internal communication and morale, and the best antidote for low morale is just getting the work done. And we've really, if you look out on our work site, um, you know, 90% of what you see there was accomplished during that time. So being part of that is a, is a major uh, positive. And then in stakeholder relations, when I arrived in 2015, uh, the U.S. was openly considering withdrawing from the project. Um, I think Europe was tentative and they couldn't withdraw because they're the host, but many of the countries involved really had questions about the project's viability. And while we are again in a transition point where we are rethinking some elements of schedule and deadline and so forth, um, uh, nobody's thinking about that. The, the project is is certainly 
in a in a much healthier state. And so I would say on external, internal, and stakeholder communications, um, there have been really great achievements on all on all fronts. And now speaking about the project and deadline, especially itself, as you said, it's very often in the news. Um, and as we know, deadlines are important when managing such giant projects. And even though ITER is a very unique experiment, which has never been done on the scale before, it also has deadlines to complete its missions, as you spoke about earlier. However, when deadlines change and then you have to manage people's expectations, both internally and externally, how do you handle and manage that as the communications director? Um, we have to develop a narrative that combats the misconceptions that are out there. And I'll, I'll give you an example. There is a what I would call a false narrative about the pace at which ITER is working in contrast to some of the private sector fusion projects that are that are emerging. In reality, that is a very, very positive narrative, and we have to get out there and say it. Why? Because when I talk, and I do to uh, quite a lot, to the CEOs of these private sector projects, if you ask them, should ITER stop? Are you going to make ITER obsolete? Their answer is, oh God, no, please don't. Because many of those projects started because of being inspired by ITER. If you go back, eight, 10 years ago, there were maybe five private sector fusion projects. There are now 40 something and they keep emerging. Many of them will tell you that it's because of each are demonstrating, even at the manufacturing and construction stage, the capacity to really scale up that that gave them faith that fusion could be done. Now, they're going to disagree on what the timeline is, what the best method is, but we share the common goal and we're actually not at all the same. The private sector projects, in some cases, are building machines that they know will destroy themselves. Why is that? Why would you do that? Because from that experience, you're going to get some incredibly valuable data over a short term. But that also highlights why ITER is complementary, because ITER is built to be this monstrous national lab, the convergence of the national laboratory or the, the fusion roadmap of 35 countries repeatable long-term experiments that at whatever stage private sector has gotten to by the time we do our first scientific campaign you will find that the data we are giving is going to be helpful to them so that's something we have to do a better job of creating that narrative and and getting that narrative in the public eye to correct that sort of competition misconception i agree i think with all the experiments the experiences that eater has actually come up with and shown all their results to, how else would there be such a huge encyclopedia of information for the private companies to go off of? That's amazing. All right, finally, for the last question, a more personal one, what motivates you as the manager to come to work every day and continue to work in spite of all the complexity of this project? I think I would say my daughter. Uh, that's a funny answer maybe, but if you look at my career pathway, um, I've done a lot of projects, public and private sector, and it looks like a, a testimony to a short attention span. This is the longest that I've ever stayed at any one project. I, I think about the capacity to change something fundamental for my daughter and her kids and future generations. Um, it's just energy. If you have a perfect fusion plant and we get there and we don't do something about human nature, how we treat each other, how we treat the other, the person who's unlike us, 
then maybe you could say a clean planet will make a difference. But it is a certain substantial contribution that, that we are trying to make. And the colleagues that I have here who are devoting their careers to this are, are just beautiful people to work with. We don't always get along. We fight, we disagree because we're smart. They're really smart people working here. So we all bring a lot to the table, and that adds that that makes it a very rich palette of discussion, of opinion, and and of achievement. And and doing that in a way that we all believe is going to make a difference for the future, I think it makes each year absolutely worth it. So, what does your daughter think about Eater? She's proud. She she um, she works now at the OECD in public sector innovation. But I think that ITER, it would be hard to find a more innovative public sector operation than you find here at ITER. Um, she's very proud. She's very proud to, uh, to have a father working on it. And with that, thank you for listening to the ETA World, Season 2 of the ETA Podcast. You can find more of our episodes on our website, www.eater.org, as well as on all your favorite podcast channels. To keep updated, subscribe to the ETA Newsline and all the social media outlets, where there are new posts and stories every week. And please stay tuned for more episodes. <laughs>